So we're going to play a little game. If I were to say the king of late night, you would say? Okay. How about the home run king? Okay. How about, how about the king of England? Charles. Okay, this one is just for Jeanette to answer. The king of rock and roll, Elvis. Elvis. Awesome. Although it is quite fun to play Name That King, our worship today is a special day on the church calendar. The last Sunday of liturgical year, as a matter of fact, before we begin the new church year and the season of Advent, when we anticipate the arrival of the baby king. Today, we come to worship Christ, the king of our lives, the first and last, the king of all kings and lord of all lords. We worship anticipating the second advent, that day when he will come to earth once more to rule with justice and peace. Will you pray with me? Sovereign God, let your word rule in our hearts and your spirit govern our lives until at last we see the fulfillment of your realm of justice and peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. <clears throat> Let us hear God's word for us today, taken from Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 27. Then he said to them all, if any wish to come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit them if they gain the whole world but lose or forfeit themselves? Those who are ashamed of me and my words of them the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Indeed, truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. In the contemporary world, we downplay the relevance of a king's role when we use the term king to assign greatness to a person's accomplishments or talents. Our familiarity with actual kings is limited unless, of course, you are a true history buff. And those even we do know of are often more symbolic rulers than effective ones. It's important to note that according to scripture, kings were assigned specific responsibilities. They were meant to ensure the well-being and protection of God's people. These purposes fit precisely the purpose attributed to Christ the King. Jeremiah, one of the many prophets who prophesied Christ's coming, wrote this, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. 
We can follow the thread of Christ's kingship from the prophets of old through the Gospels. Christ did come as the king who did what is just and right in the land. We first see that Christ was born king. God's prophet Isaiah foresees this when he writes, For a child has been born for us, a son given to us, authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Great will be his authority, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And Luke records the angel Gabriel's words to Mary saying, The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Celebrated as king, we remember his triumphal entry. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Accused as king, John writes that after Pilate asked Jesus if he was king of the Jews, Jesus answered, My kingdom does not belong to this world. You say that I am king, for this I was born. Mocked and crucified as a king, Roman soldiers placed a crown of thorns on his head, saying, Hail, the king of the Jews. Then placed above his head the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Christ was raised as king. Paul, in his prayer of thanksgiving for the Ephesians, reminds them that the Father raised Christ, Jesus, from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, as I mentioned earlier, next Sunday marks the beginning of a new liturgical year with the first Sunday of Advent. The season of Advent brings hope and anticipation to a weary world. It's the time of year when we wait for and then celebrate the birth of the promised Messiah the Christ child. But the season of Advent is a reminder that we must always make ready with great expectation the day Christ will come again to this weary world and reign with justice and peace. Christ reveals this to John. John put the prophecy in writing saying they will wage war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. The thread of Christ's kingship is recorded in scripture from Old Testament prophecy to his time on earth to his return in New Testament prophecy. Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But is Christ Jesus the king of your life. Around 150 years ago, author George MacDonald penned a children's book titled The Princess and the Goblin. The main character, Irene, is an eight-year-old girl who discovers an attic room in her home. 
periodically, her fairy grandmother manifests in this room. However, when Irene searches for her, the grandmother is sometimes not there. To address this, the grandmother gives Irene a ring connected to a thread leading to a small ball of thread. The fairy grandmother informs Irene that she will hold on to the ball of thread for safekeeping. But I can't see it, says Irene. No, the thread is too fine for you to see it. You can only feel it. With this reassurance, Irene tests the thread. Now listen, says the fairy grandmother, if ever you find yourself in any danger, you must take off your ring and put it under the pillow of your bed. Then you must lay your forefinger upon the thread and follow the thread wherever it leads you. Oh, how delightful. It will lead me to you, grandmother, I know. Yes, said the grandmother, but remember, it may seem to you a very roundabout way indeed, and you must not doubt the thread. Of one thing you may be sure, that while you hold it, I hold it too. A couple of days later, while Irene was in bed, goblins managed to sneak into her home. Despite hearing their menacing sounds in the hallway, Irene remains composed and removes her ring, placing it under her pillow. Instinctively, she senses the thread's presence and anticipates it guiding her to her grandmother in safety. However, much to her dismay, the thread leads her outside, revealing that it's directing her straight towards the goblin cave. As she follows the thread, it ultimately leads her to a large pile of stones within the cave, forming a dead end. The thought struck her that at least she could follow the thread backwards and thus get out. But the instant she tried to feel it backwards, it vanished from her touch. The grandmother's thread only worked forward but forward, it led into a heap of stones. Irene burst into a wailing cry, but after crying, she realizes that the only way to follow the thread is to tear down the wall of stones. She begins tearing it down stone by stone. Though her fingers are soon bleeding, she pulls and pulls. Suddenly, she hears a voice. It's her friend, Curdy, who has been trapped in the goblin's cave. Curdy is astounded and asks, why, however, did you come here? Irene replies that her grandmother sent her, and I think I found a way out. After Irene has followed the thread and removed enough rocks to create an opening, Curdy starts to climb out of the cave but Irene keeps going deeper into the cave. Curdy objects. Where are you going there? That's not the way out. That's where I couldn't get out. I know that, says Irene, but this is the way my thread goes, and I must follow it. 
And indeed, the thread proves trustworthy because her grandmother is trustworthy. When Jesus told the disciples, follow me, they had no idea where or what it was actually leading them to. I'm pretty confident that many of us had no clue also. I know I didn't ever expect to be standing here. Remember, I was going to be the pastor's wife. Yet Jesus says, follow me. I'm going to take you on a journey. Stay close to me and don't stray from the path. Always keep me first in your life, continually putting your trust in me. Stay committed without looking back or giving up. In the face of life's cruelties and disappointments, turn to me. I'll guide you to destinations that may perplex you. And even in those moments, I want your unwavering trust. The journey's path that Jesus will travel with you on may sometimes seem like it's taking you to one dead end of stones after another. But just like with little Irene, the thread does not work in reverse. You must trust, obey, and follow. The author of The Princess and the Goblin puts it like this in another one of his books. You will be dead so long as you refuse to die. Isn't this what Jesus meant in today's scripture when he says, If any wish to come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. We are dead as long as we refuse to die to self. Follow the thread. It seems so straightforward, yet deep-seated. Jesus demonstrates everything he calls us to do. When he called James and John to abandon their boat, he had already left the throne of his father. He would later be separated from his father's presence on the cross. There will be moments when it seems like your path is leading to dead ends of heaping piles of stone, places where you may face adversity or deep sorrow, and following the thread might appear bone-crushing. But when you hit that wall of stones, don't turn back. Christ is there to help you break through it. The kingship of Christ will not crush you. He endured that crushing on your behalf. He followed his thread to the cross so that you can follow yours into his loving embrace. Amen.